All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jallo alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. It's a big week for the Republic of Ireland when it comes to soccer, at least with the 21s possibly having the opportunity to qualify directly for the European Championships. And it's all going to be live on RT2 and the RT Player. Ireland under 21s playing Italy from four o'clock. Uh, that's uh, when you can tune in live. And then straight after the final Nations League game of this window where Ireland play Ukraine in Poland, which is exactly exactly where Ed Leahy and Kenny Cunningham, if people are actually watching this, uh, will. Uh, uh, that's exactly where he is. So Ed, um, in terms of a scene set, I know you'd been promising all this stuff about having like a rooftop shot uh, from the top of your hotel, but uh, that's been foiled now. It has, Raf. We've been done by the, the weather gods. Uh, literally just blew in. There's been a storm forecast all day, but it just blew in over Words, words. But listen, li- listen, hold on, hold on. It's a lot, wor- it's a lot wor- worse than that. We woke up this morning, me and Ed, and we had uh, emails on our phone from the Polish government, no less. And don't ask me how they got a phone yeah. number. That's, a- <laughs> That's another question, kind of national security, you know, yeah, privacy yeah. laws. Anyway, let's park that for, for a start. But basically, it was to say that there was a severe weather war. Not only that, yeah. we might be advised to head to the nearest shelter. At some point during the day, that's that's the one yeah, I got. Yeah, that's what I get on me from. So just to give it a little bit more uh, perspective, Raph, Ed's going to make out, you know, a little bit of drizzly rain, but yeah. not more serious than that. I hope the viewers, you know, are concerned about our, Appreciate our, our safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I hope I hope they are. I'm I'm very worried, as you can probably tell as well. Um, anyway, the good thing about that, Raph, is that if it blows in today, we should have a nice. Uh, warm summer's day for the match tomorrow and it'll be a late kickoff as well 8.45 local time so no excuses really this time compared to the other than anyway at least so there's, there's, there is that Yeah when you started your answer there I think you were trying to pronounce the local area is it Woodge or Ludge um, or how does it work? What do you think? Ludge we, we got it off the taxi yeah. man yesterday didn't he? I was going with like uh, Wodge the old uh, only fills and horses, classic uh, episode. I don't know if people remember. Like, yeah, I was going to go with Wodge, but he, uh, Ludge. I thought he said Ludge. 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 Were we in different taxis? Was that a different taxi man? Uh, you were asleep. To be honest, you you admitted you were asleep for most of that journey. Check with Tony Dunhill's uh, 6 1 report. I'm sure he's given a. Ed was very antisocial in the the taxi, it has to be said yesterday. (laughs) Physically, mentally exhausted. I didn't even get a word out of him. It's the only three-hour taxi ride I've been on with somebody who literally didn't get a word out for the house. Didn't, didn't contribute to the crossword. Didn't, didn't contribute to the crossword at all, did you? I didn't, actually, no. no it was poor, harder than I was expected, actually. Poor show, poor show. I was hit with a male swan early on, and then that was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask, right, lads, you too, right? Male swan, give it to me. Uh, signet. Three, three letters. Yeah. Everybody says it's it, don't they? Yeah. Three letters. Three letters. Uh, so you don't even know. Yeah. The two lads don't even know. Okay, I feel a bit better. Yeah, what is it? A cob. Uh, is it a cob? He's quick on his phone, isn't he? <laughs> he's quick on his phone, lads, but he's on that Google yeah. thing, isn't he? Yeah, we went from, there on the yeah, from right. signet to pen. And then eventually we got it. Anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll move on from that general knowledge segment now to the actual <laughs> football. So um just one last thing on the area, actually, Ed. Now, as you said, um you probably haven't had a chance to kind of have a look around, but obviously we know why Ukraine have to play there. Um there's obviously if you look at the news and the whole situation with what's happening on Ukraine Ukrainian territory, that's why uh, Ireland have to play them there and all their kind of designated home matches are. But do you get a sense of sort of 
um, that it's kind of like a home from home temporarily, at least for Ukraine and their um, and also for their fans. No, I don't actually. To be honest, I, I you know, there's, there's the Ukraine press conference later on, so I'm looking to ask, you know, why why they came here. But I would imagine it's based of just the fact of they'd need a, a UEFA stadium, and in the likes of the big stadium in Warsaw would probably be too big for these sort of games. So this, you know, it makes sense. It's a big city still, you know. So I imagine there will be a big diaspora here and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of what sort of attendance shows up but I imagine I imagine it'll be close to full hopefully we're looking at those scenes Raf on the, the Armenia game Ukraine-Armenia game a few days ago uh, there was more than a sprinkle in the Ukrainian supporters they were they pretty dominated the stadium it wasn't the biggest stadium but it looked looked a really the atmosphere looked a really kind of really energised inside the stadium which I think is what they're after like it says no point taken to a 50, 60 thousand stadium having a half for it. I don't think that helps anybody, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I think both the Ukrainian players and the Irish players will respond to that type of, you know, kind of near capacity stadium, albeit at reduced uh, capacity. Yeah. Now, Ireland are coming off and coming into this game, obviously, off the back of a very good win over Scotland, the 3 0 on Saturday uh, in Dublin. And I mean, I suppose starting on the kind of tactical uh, tweaks that, St- that Stephen Kenny had had made, uh, what did you make of it, in, especially in comparison to the game against Ukraine a few days earlier? Yeah, it's a fair question, uh, Rafa. I think it's been coming. I think it's been coming for some time. You could, you, I'd probably even look back to our games at the tail end of last season, which were actually on that unbeaten run. Even the, actually the wins away to uh, Azerbaijan and Luxembourg, although we were very comfortable and comprehensive victories, I always felt kind of offensively, I always looked a little bit... Uh, open even against those uh, countries and I thought maybe to persist with this system of play kind of back three and wing, wing backs especially against the better teams I always felt we'd have to tweak things a little bit uh, forward up the pitch and sacrifice one of those front three players and introduce another central mid- midfield player it didn't happen until the game against uh, Scotland I thought we suffered a little bit because of it against uh, uh, Armenia uh, and Ukraine but uh, the change was made against Scotland and I think in possession and out possession, we look far better for it. So I can't see anything changing now going forward. I think that's a system which, which best, uh, best suits, uh, suits us. I think the added um, the advantage of having like more legs, more athleticism in that central area, the pitch, the running pair of Jason, Jason Malumby, a bit more tenacity in there as well, helps us certainly defensively. It did. I thought we looked rock solid, Raph. I don't know what you thought, but. Even when we, we get, even when Scotland had the ball and we dropped into a deeper defensive shape, I was never worried. You know, once we dropped into that like com, uh, compact defensive shape, but we looked very secure. And probably the first time in quite some time, I haven't been really nervous looking at us when we haven't got possession of the ball. And I didn't think we lost anything going forward either. Uh, either Raph. some people would say, well, you lose one of them front men and an extra man in midfield, you're going too defensive minded. But I don't think that's the case. I still think we carried as much, if not more, of an attacking threat with those kind of a partnership up front, which is what we had. You don't really get that with a front three, Raf. You get a lot of rotation and movement ahead of the ball. But I think if you were to ask all of those Irish forwards in the squad, would you rather play in a kind of a loose front three or as a front two partnership with somebody, you know, playing, you know, 10, 15 yards from somebody from the majority of the game who you can link up with and connect with? I think a lot of the majority of the players that send the forwards would like that kind of partnership. I think that's what you saw with uh, Obafemi and Troy Parrott. They actually enjoyed playing each other. And we, we saw a little connection with there and maybe even potentially a blossoming, uh, blossoming uh, partnership going forward. Yeah, just, on, that, on, yeah. on that note as well, um, 
one thing I noticed from the first uh, two games, and I said it to Stephen at the press conference after Ukraine, I said, you've gone basically played no out-and-out centre-forwards in, in your formation, you know, with, with Callum Robinson, Chidozi, uh, Troy Parrott, and even with Jason Knight then in the three in the second game. And I think, like, you'd know better than this. If a centre, the centre-halves need to be occupied, and a, and a good, like, what Obafemi brought to the, the equation there on, on Saturday was that he just ran the centre-halves and he pulled them out of position. He just occupied them and he really made life difficult for them. And then, you know, you've also got two wing-backs as well. So when you're playing with the wide three, you sort of, you have that option for the, for the you know, for the wing-backs to go forward anyway. So you, I think the two works in that sense anyway. Yeah, and, it, and defensively as well, just on, you know, from your kind of experience as a centre-back, Kenny, you know, where, as you said, having the extra body in midfield, maybe people look at it and think, you know, it's taking away in an attacking sense. But, you know, that player that can break the lines and you're not quite sure, are they more defensive or are they, you know, are they kind of making late runs into the box? It's so hard to defend against. And Jason Knight did it well. He did, yeah. So we look more secure when we lose the ball. We've got that flat three now midfield. Josh Cullen's probably playing a little bit deeper than the other two. It's almost a little kind of shallow V uh, formation there in midfield. But that makes us more secure in there, better protection uh, to the back three unit in behind. And you've actually got, I mean, the whole, the, whole, the whole compact nature of the team, even the front two are actually in contact with the midfield. When it's at its best, you've got about, a, you know, maybe... 10, 12, 15 yard distance between the front two and the mid, midfield three, and likewise the midfield three uh, to the back three. So that's your kind of defensive uh, unit right there. But you're right, you can very, break very uh, quickly out of that. We know how important kind of you know quick counter attack transitions are in the modern game. But to do that, you need people with pace who can actually break out from those defensive positions in possession and out possession. And the likes of Jason Knight and Malumbi, we can do that. Even Alan Brown, who kind of got, uh, Done his shifters in that right wing back position. He's at his best for me in one of those central three positions. I'd love to see. He'd love to play in there. I know that, and have that kind of freedom to break out from there and get in the box. We know how good he is arriving late into the box as well. So I think there's plenty of permutations in terms of personnel for the manager when he looks at that uh, uh, midfield three. He might even look at the game tomorrow night, Raph, and think, you know, what? I'll take. Josh Cullen, who's started the last three games, I'll put a different type of uh, anchor in there. I'll put Conor Hurley in there. Wouldn't be as strong defensively as Josh Cullen, but he's a very good passer with more of a quarterback. So these are the options that you have now with that three. It gives you some real kind of interesting combinations in terms of the three that you play in there. And also up front, obviously, Troy and Obafemi have made an impression already, but I'm sure those other centre forwards, I think, are looking for an opportunity to play in that system as well. And Kenny, do you think with with the we're, like, we're, we're looking at a very new looking back three now tomorrow yeah. with Egan and Duffy both missing, so it's probably looking at like Nathan Collins, Darrell O'Shea, and Darrell Lennon. So I suppose they'll be looking for that bit of extra support defensively on, on in front of them as well. Okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Obviously, we've, we've been dependent on the Nathan, uh, Shane, and, and John predominantly the last couple of games, but with uh, Shane being out. I'd imagine we're going to see uh, Nathan Lads come into the centre of that front three, and that'd be interesting because in potentially going forward, that's going to position he's kind of uh, going to mature into uh, uh, centre of a three, and then it'd be just interesting to see who uh, Stephen flips either side of him. Daryl Lennon is an obvious one, left side of a three, um, and the Stevens won't get a mention now in that position. But for me, going forward, that's probably a position which suits 
ended a little bit more playing on that left side of the three. He's a very competent defender and very comfortable on the ball. And that's what Stephen's looking for on that back three going forward. People are very comfortable receiving the ball and getting and playing forward. And that's been one small thing. I wouldn't say it's been a negative in the last couple of games. But we've given away some big opportunities to, to opposition teams. Uh, Scotland's a classic example of it. We were so much in the ascendancy, but there was key moments before half-time trying to play out. Shane Duffy in particular, I have to say, looked a little bit uncomfortable being asked, being asked to play out in those kind of deep defensive positions. We gifted two chances uh, to John McGinn. So that'll be something for the manager uh, to look at going forward. You know, we know that he's been an absolute colossus for Shane in terms of his defensive qualities and his impact in kind of both boxes. But the manager will have to balance that up in terms of his ball-playing ability as well, particularly when the likes of Andrew Armour back at the air, he comes back into the equation as well. We know how good he is in possession, how comfortable he is in terms of travelling into kind of uh, central midfield areas as well. So but I think that's quite exciting, lads. That's not a downer. That's almost a positive in terms of like, we've got players now with the capability of coming into this system now in terms of this 5-3-2, which invariably uh, what it is. And I think going forward, we're going, to, we're going to be better for it. We're going to be better out of possession. We're going to be harder to beat. We're going to give up fewer opportunities. But I also think we, we can spring forward from this, uh, 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 not, not a defensive shape, but this uh, current system that we saw against Scotland. And I think we can be a, a real threat as well, particularly in kind of counter-attack. Yeah, and Alan Brown, um, actually, as you mentioned, you know, playing at right wing back, which would be sort of out of position for him when he's used to more used to playing centre midfield. The fact that Matt Doherty's that sort of wing back who's more used to kind of drifting inside and connecting with either midfielders or some of the forwards for the forward. Do you feel that was why Alan Brown was brought in? Because he can almost play that position in a similar way rather than being kind of like an overlapping wing back? I don't think that was the reason. I think he's capable of doing that, Alan. I think he's done it for uh, Preston uh, on occasions. I don't think he's wholly comfortable over there, to be honest with you. He's got more real defensive responsibility as a right wing back. You know, at times, you have to defend as an orthodox uh, uh, right back alongside your centre halves. And that's something which he wouldn't really be used to playing in kind of an orthodox midfield two uh, or three. But he's disciplined and, and he does it. He's got the legs, the athleticism, have to get up and down. The pitch as well. Matt is the obvious one, I think, in that area of the pitch. He's out, outstanding play as a wing back in the modern game. You're looking for somebody who's kind of compact, uh, competent defensively, but who can get not only get forward, Raph, but actually who's got the ability actually to beat people, you know, on the last tour of the pitch, get on the outside, come on the inside, play little one twos combinations. I think Matt's the best one we have in that area of the pitch. I think it's probably the, I wouldn't say we. We're, we're lacking in that area of the pitch in terms of wing-backs, but, but I think we're not as strong there maybe in terms of wing-back positions as we are in the back three in centre midfield. You haven't mentioned Mifesti Ebersale is an interesting one. Like He's been in the squad. hasn't had any game time at all, Raph, isn't he? But a little bit I've seen him play. He occupies that area of the pitch, right winger, kind of right wing-back. Maybe a little bit surprised. Maybe he hasn't lived. I had some game time. I know all of these games are important and there's huge consequences in terms of where we finish in the group. But it'd be really interested in seeing that young lad play, just get an opportunity in that area to pitch and maybe throw Alan Brown into that central uh, midfield area where he's more, more comfortable and he carries that real kind of goal threat arriving into the box. Not too sure we'll see it, to be honest with you. The young lad hasn't played up until now. We probably won't see him start uh, tomorrow evening. But again, he's an interesting one for the future. He just signed Udinese, Ed, isn't he? It's yeah. a five-year deal at Udinese. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see his development over the next couple of years over in Italy. Interesting on the Matt Doherty question. Um, Stephen Kenny, one of the, one of his 
gripes after the Ukraine match was that the team weren't uh, weren't taking their time with it. They were they were they weren't building up with patience. They were a bit too direct. He said, and I suppose I pointed the finger at Cyrus Christie because he said when Matt Doherty plays, he he he's a natural playmaker in that sense. So he his role there is is it's not just a wingback, but it's also building that sort of building the possession. And I suppose when, when Alan Brown came into uh, the right wing back position, everyone assumed that he would be just there to occupy and nullify Robertson. And he did that, but he did it. And he also added the attacking option. So he, he did a great, you know, he put in a great shift there. And it was, it was almost a bonus that he was able to add the attacking element to the, to the role as well. Yeah, I think long, sorry, I think long term, Rafa, me, it's Matt Doherty in that right back position. That's how you'd see. But then you have to look over to in that left wing back position. Who's our best option there? I don't think there's one uh, player who's really grabbed that position. Enders had a bit of time there. James McLean, uh, we know, cannot play that position well. Roy Manning's an interesting one. I've mentioned Festy Eversali there, so I'd love to see him play. Roy Manning in Zulu has had very little kind of game time. He's ticking a lot of boxes in terms of uh, playing time at kind of Swansea. It, it is that kind of a natural. Uh, position for him. So again, what I've seen him play, kind of very competent kind of footballer, but again, hasn't had, had that opportunity. So just those positions we potentially we need to nail down uh, going forward. If this system is to really kind of flourish going forward and, and we're going to commit to it, just those wing-back positions, we need to maybe f- find somebody at left wing-back position, just commit to them going forward rather than maybe constantly just, you know, different body, different body from kind of game to game. Just get that bit of continuity wrap in terms of all areas of the pitch, back three, midfield three, that partnership which I'm talking about, even those kind of wing-back positions, you know, just kind of settle on, you know, who's our best two in those areas of the pitch. Well, I mean, the big thing, lads, as well, that looking at the game on Saturday, one of the great things was the spontaneity and the creativity within the system. Like, when you look at Ireland the last two games, I thought they looked like a team that were wedded too much to the system. Like, you could see the pattern of play. I get the ball here and it goes here and then it goes here and then it goes back here. But it became really predictable and, and a bit stale looking. Like, when you bring in the likes of Abba Femi and a Parrot and an Alan Brown in that position, they just do something a little bit different. Like, I, I thought the second goal on Saturday was a really, really great goal. Like, just for Ireland to carve a team like that open from general play, it's just two lads, like, of a very first way, just peeling away from his man. But then that little bit of vision plus the run, great finish. Like, I thought that was a great goal. And then even the strike, like, I, I could be wrong here. I can't remember Ireland having a shot from outside the box in definitely not against Armenia. You know, it's, it just takes a little bit of personality to back yourself from 30 yards because a lot of the time it's going to sail into the stands. But Abafemi is that type of guy, you know, he's got a bit of cockiness, a bit of arrogance, backs himself. I, don't, I think the keeper maybe could have done better, but he hit it. It's a good hit, you know, gets it on target and it's a great goal. So I thought, like, it's amazing. Like, that, that just a little bit more personality and confidence in the team within that system. And it suddenly goes from looking very by the numbers and you know where they're going to play and you know what they're going to try to do to not only from general play but I thought Ireland's set pieces were much better uh, on Saturday so I thought McLean actually his deliveries was were, were on the money a lot of the time as well and, and then you know you're mixing things up you're a threat from dead balls you're a threat from crosses out wide and you have something coming through the middle from the likes of Parrot and Abafemi Yeah what's well, interesting you mentioned the first the link up between Abafemi and Troy Parrott where not a lot, what a lot of people weren't talking about was how the ball actually got to Abafemi's feet how did it get there Anthony can you remember I can't that was on my head but like it was let me tell you 
Who was it like a sixty-yard goal kick? Right, Quaidy and Kelleher. Right, Parrot competed for the header and it bounced to the feet of yeah. Albert Femi. So, all well and good in terms of love. We spoke about it in terms of getting caught in the edge of the box and it cost us two goals. So, for me, it's not one way or the other. It's a little bit of both. Um, and particularly when you have two players up the pitch, there's two targets up there. They don't have to be six foot five to compete for headers. All they have to do is make a nuisance of themselves and then you're picking up second ball and playing from there. And we scored a goal. For, so that's the, first, that's the first thing to say for people who say, oh, we're not a long ball team. We've got to go away from that. That's kind of Neanderthal stuff. It's not Neanderthal stuff. It's smart. And we actually gained from it at the weekend. I'd actually disagree with you a little bit in terms of when you're playing. I understand what you're saying in terms of a little bit of freedom, the over-friendly goal. I think forwards always have that type of freedom, Anthony, in the last tour of the pitch. I don't remember playing with any managers who say to forwards, look, when you get the ball five, ten yards out of the opposition box, this is what you have to do. There's always a certain level of freedom. I I, I actually like to see us play with a little bit more fixed patterns of play, to be honest. I, I look at it differently to you. When I look at that Armenia game and all the possession that we had, for me, it was actually too much freedom. Too much kind of movement playing off the cuff ahead uh, of the ball. I don't think we built enough sustained attacks in the Armenian half the pitch. And that was because I, I didn't think we had enough kind of fixed patterns. When our wins back, backs got the ball, I don't think our, our three kind of forward players really got themselves in positions to link up with their, with their wing backs and actually receive the ball higher up the pitch and kind of build pressure. Little fixed patterns like centre forward sliding across, having it into feet people joining in. So really kind of fixed pictures in people's minds what we're going to do when we get into the opposition half. Which I didn't see that against Armenia. But I tell you what, when you have a, a pairing up front, Anthony, it really helps you. If you're a midfielder and a wing-back and you pick up the ball in the opposition half the pitch, now we've got two centre-forwards playing high up the pitch, 15 yards apart. No reason for them now not to be sliding out across the pitch and offering themselves up. When Jamie Cleans gets the ball, if it's Alan Brown, those wing-back positions, they should always have a pass into the centre-forwards feet now, into feet. And if we can make that ball stick toward the yards from the opposition goal, then that's a real gateway there. And then we've got the likes of Jason I. Jason Malumbi join in from deeper positions, running run, run uh, beyond the ball. We've got centre forwards combining the last tour of the pitch, little ball around the corner, maybe little kind of one twos. So I actually like, I actually like, to, I'm the opposite. I like to see fixed patterns of play uh, on the pitch. And I actually think there's more to come from us uh, in that respect. That wasn't a perfect attacking performance uh, for me against Scotland. But I wasn't this. The first time we've played that particular system. But I think it can actually get better. I think we can get our front two more into the game. And if we get our front two more into the game, then that midfield three will join in. Wing-backs will join in more. We'll have, we'll have more possession, more sustained attacks on the opposition goal. So I'm quite excited because that, as good as that uh, performance result was against Scotland, Anthony, for me, there's actually more. There's a lot more we can tap into with this system going forward. So that's kind of why I'm uh, quite excited looking forward to the game tomorrow when ahead. Yeah. Ed, what did, what did you make of Scotland? I mean, it, we're sort of coming out thinking it was a drub in Scotland. But when we're 1-0 up, John McGinn should probably equalise for them. You know, I think it was 60 seconds after the Parrot got the, the second goal. Like, were they, were Ireland really good or were they just way off colour? Were they even a little bit complacent coming over? I just don't think, I don't, yeah, I don't think Ireland really allowed them to, to settle. And, and to be honest with you, they looked... They looked a bit clueless, you know. They, they rely on, they seem to rely on that, you know, fast pace down either flank, and with ball, just balls into the box, and hopefully that, you know, it'll it will drop to someone. 
and again, sort of just especially this God, the second one, he was he was coming onto it lovely, and it, it was a case of placing it into the into the bottom corner. Um, I know the Scottish journalists were very irate after the game in the in the press conference. They really had a go at the manager that they weren't able to work out playing around Shane Duffy, and if they, if they can't do that, you know what 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 chance have they got? You know, but a little bit unfair on them perhaps, but. Uh, you know, I think I think Scotland have just built a good team and they were on a good run. So, you know, in that sense, they, they can they can have the confidence to go and win matches with, with the likes of Robertson racing down the left side. And then, you know, if you got if you got goals, they're, they're winning games. But they just didn't they didn't get a goal in, in, in Dublin. And even when the even when the, the, the first second goal went in, they couldn't they couldn't react. It looked like a bit of a hangover, and I know they had the game against Armenia, but it just felt as if this game once almost mentally, physically shot a little bit after the disappointment mm. uh, of losing to Ukraine and just couldn't steer themselves, just couldn't find anything from within the group when they went a goal, two, two goals. And it's easy to criticise, and I probably did a little bit after the game, but we were all expecting a lot more from them. But I think we've all, we've all been there, you know, end of, the, end of a long season, but just more importantly to suffer the... The disappointment of losing out to uh, Ukraine in the manner which they did. Very difficult then when you come into a game and you're under the caution. We were playing well. The crowd was up. We were getting around, making tackles, disrupting them, making it difficult. You know, it can be difficult at times to really muster up the energy and the reserves to kind of face that up and kind of, you know, pull yourself back into the game. They just weren't capable on the day. I wouldn't say they accepted the defeat, Anthony, but they just couldn't. Just couldn't find anything, couldn't dig, dig enough into their uh, reserves to find the type of performance they needed to uh, drag themselves back into the game. Look, do you know what was interesting as well about the squad? Um, after the World Cup defeat, uh, one of the keepers packed it in. He, he said, uh, I'm done with international football now, is it Marshall? Yeah. He called it off. Two more lads were going off to get married. So it sort of showed the prior- where the priorities lie yeah. with the Scottish squad that you know they weren't even thinking of the Nations League games. Thinking yeah. of their misses, that. Thinking <laughs> of their bloody fact, you know, their halves. Cheek. No, that's, that's, that's admirable, you know. You Football comes first, Dave. We all know that. Well, look, you know, Ender Stevens is getting married, but he didn't, you know, he, he's, got, he's getting married next week. But, like, you know, it was arranged when the international calendar was over, not when the first game was over, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose a final point on the seniors that we didn't really <coughs> touch on, um, although, Kenny, you touched on a little bit with the uh, the combative nature of the Irish midfield, but Jason Malumby coming in and playing alongside Cullen, um, what did he bring to the party? Because I think initially it seemed that it was sort of under the radar, but then the more the game went on, I think it was kind of obvious that he was bringing another element there that maybe had been missing in the couple of games before. Yeah, so I think what what, what he brings, uh, Jason, he's obviously he's always had these attributes. Spent some time a couple of years ago in the under eight uh, setup, but they were even evident uh, then. Just kind of real kind of physicality, uh, uh, tenacity uh, to that kind of uh, central midfield. Probably best epitomising the lead up to the the third goal. You know, that crunch and tackle which he won halfway inside that half. Ball drops the chop, part of pass into open Femi, and the rest is history, as they say. So everybody's talking about the quality of the finish. You know, clever little pass from Troy Parrott, but again. Not too much mention of the tackle, but it's so important, not just in setting up things, but also in disrupting opposition teams as well. You know, just kind of intercepts, you know, uh, winning, the, winning the ball back, just prevents opposition teams from developing any type of momentum. So he has that, has the kind of physicality, tenacity in there and legs, of course, as well. I think he could be an asset to us. I think there's more to his game actually going forward. He's got that ability to, to arrive in the box. 
Now, he's not kind of, a, I suggest at the moment, a kind of ball playing midfield. He's not going to get on the ball and dictate the game in there. In fact, he's the type of player at times I'd be encouraging him to actually stay away from the ball, allow the ball to, yeah, it's from, allow the ball to go from back uh, to back to front and then join in. Use that kind of leg, that physicality, that dynamism which you have to arrive and arrive late in the box and, you know, get your fair share of chances uh, and goals there. So he has that. I mean, I spoke about uh, Josh Cullen coming out of the, the game maybe tomorrow might be a case and he likes a kind of hurricane going in there. I think Jason Malumby going forward can occupy that holding midfield position. You certainly get that kind of physicality and bite in there uh, when he's in there as well. Just needs a little bit more maturity to his game to understand the role. You have to be a little more disciplined in that kind of holding midfield role. You know, you can't be charging here, there and everywhere. But hopefully that kind of maturity will come into his game and he might, might well be able to occupy the holding midfield position going forward as well. This is what I'm talking about, that kind of, that kind of three in that midfield shape. It's kind of quite interesting in terms of who we can uh, move around in, in those positions. But yeah, that's what he gave us. And Paris, Anthony mentioned kind of personality there. I think he's got that as well. You, you can see it a little bit in terms of himself, his, the jersey, his relationship with the jersey, how much it kind of means. So I think that comes through as well. The only thing I'd say to him is he's got to temper a little bit, that aggression, uh, tenacity. He's just got to temper that a little bit as well. At international football, you have to keep a cool head. Yes, you want to be you've got to be fired up and kind of energised. We're all kind of motivated. We've got the jersey on to go and play. But you need to realise at times you just need to turn it down a little bit as well and just kind of remain calm and get the heartbeat down a little bit as well. So they're just a small little modifications he'll have to do to his game going forward. But yeah, I think he's going to be, he's going to be a part and an integral part of the squad going forward. How much? That's probably down to him in terms of those small little... Um, uh, tweaks kind of modifications he can make to his game and just keep improving basically and if he does he's going to be around the international setup for a long time there was one, yes. there was, there was one thing in the Ukraine game I noticed there was, there was spells of the game especially as the game went on where Ukraine held onto the ball and put, put sequences of 20-30 passes together without Ireland getting close to the ball now they didn't end up going anywhere but again it's energy sapping and it's you know it's, it's it's going away from the way Kenny wants to play. So I wonder if there has always been so much emphasis on what what the team are doing with the ball that they sort of overlooked a little bit of what they did off the ball. And I think, you know, what they got to system against Scotland was very evident that it was, it was they were pressing all over the pitch and they really seemed to be working on getting the ball back in minimum time. Yeah, but you, have to, you need to have that balance in your team. So when the opposition team have the, have the ball, at some point, you need to get it back. There's got to be a trigger at some point, whether you're pressing high or you're pressing low. But some players are simply are better at it than others, Raf, in terms of the ability to get across the pitch and make tackles and get close and just better understanding in terms of defensive uh, side of the game, just better as defenders, better kind of defensive uh, mindset. They just do better in those situations. So you look at Jeff, who's played for us previously, and Jeff's a lovely footballer, high te- uh, technical ability. We know the qualities that he has in terms of drifting forward, linking up with the front three, etc., etc. But when we're out of possession of the ball, we don't see Jeff in the game because he hasn't got those qualities that I've just been talking about. Now, the likes of Jason Malumbi has them, Josh uh, uh, Cullen has them. Jason Knight probably has a little bit of both in terms of a little uh, football and ability and a bit of uh, tenacity as well. And within that kind of midfield three, now rather than a midfield two, Raph, where you're thinking we, we can't really carry a player who can't defend, that, that kind of high quality technical ability, that's not enough in a two. In a three, you look at now and think, do you know what? We can throw Jeff in. I think we, maybe we can afford to put Jeff in there. If we get another couple around him, 
who can protect them out possession. And Conor Horan maybe can come in there as well because we got we got the added safety net, the extra uh, toward player in there. So that's all good for me. You know, that really strengthens us. That one small change which the management team have made, just taking one of that, those forward midfield three players, Jason Knight to a smaller extent, and dropping them back uh, 15, 20 yards further down the pitch in contact with those other two midfield players. For me, like that's 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 that potentially could be absolutely huge for us going forward. Yeah, and Ed, uh, before we let you go, um, obviously we'll talk about the under-21s very, very briefly, but um, uh, in terms of the team news, because as you're talking about the out-of-possession, it's going to be crucial, and probably more so because Ukraine, I would imagine, are going to be a bit stronger this time. Well, look, yeah, I suppose you'll have to wait and see what, what they come up with, but like, they essentially played the reserve team. If, if you're going with, if you're going with the, you imagine they would have played the strongest team in the World Cup uh, playoffs, so... They just weren't able to put them out against Ireland, and you know, what two or three days after after the the Wales game. So you imagine they're back to full strength now, and and you can only you can only expect that they're going to be better and more just just bring more quality. It doesn't actually bother me if they bring their the so-called stronger eleven in because that, that ten changes they made for that game, Raf and Dublin. But for me, the level of performance there wasn't actually that much of a drop off uh, from what I've seen them play. So I play against the. Uh, Wales obviously and uh, uh, are, are made obviously to get the game against us very 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 similar in terms of level of performance they played so well so consistent so for me and that's what like making those 10 changes so I'm not overly bothered if they bring bring those six or seven yeah. players back in I still think we're going to be facing what we saw in Dublin not too long ago the difference being for me we're far better well prepared now to deal with their, their kind of threats which they uh, have in their team than when we were in Dublin uh, maybe a couple of days a week ago. I think I think the the manager sort of gave the same appraisal of the of the team as well. He was he he was saying whatever you know if if he, if he plays this team, there's five or six quality lads left out. You know, so it's it's much of a muchness. They've got they've got a really strong squad and very similar style of players that can all just slot in and out. Yeah, so Ukraine versus Ireland in Luj, as uh, Ken, or Ed has uh, correctly pronounced I think, a couple of times. Wodge, Wodge, Wodge. Okay, Wodge. I've got it right there, finally. Um, seven o'clock, RT2 and the RT player on Tuesday. But uh, before we let you go, um, obviously four o'clock, we've also got the Ireland under-21s who are playing Italy and Ascoli and knowing a win will be enough to qualify for a historic first ever European Championship. Uh, Kenny, what have you made of the last two games in the window so far and in terms of the mentality going to Italy now when at least they have the basis of knowing a playoff is secure does it give them that extra bit of motivation I guess that they can almost just throw everything at it yeah I'm not even too sure extra motivation I'm sure that would have been there just less less pressure really before Italy played Sweden we're all looking at where we think it draw that's what that's the ideal because then we know we're guaranteed that kind of playoff and we've almost got a free hit. Now a free hit suggests Raf the lads, you know, go in there with their kind of flip-flops and like Bermuda shorts, oh, there's no pressure. It's not like that. There's always pressure. The pressure's there's there's a certain element of pressure there now in terms of we've got a real shot now. Yeah. We've got a real shot of actually topping this group. So there's there's still uh, pressure there, but the fact we're guaranteed that playoff spot, it absolutely does help. There's no doubt about it. So I'm I'm so confident. We were talking about the fact that we've been devastating games so close to where it's tomorrow. So we're trying to organise a day around getting somewhere. We've got to watch it. We've got to watch it. It would be great to see tonight. Sit in the hotel and sit down together as a group and watch the game because 
what an opportunity for those uh, young players to really create history, be part of the first under-21 squad that qualifies for a major final. And they've got a great chance. Um, similar in terms of what I'm saying about, uh, we talked about us in that Scotland game in terms of the setup being at, looking as if, bang, we've got it. You know, 50 minutes in that Scotland game, they don't know, you thought, yeah, that's it. You can see it. This is it. This is far better. But we've probably been saying that about the 21s for a couple of games now. I'd even roll it back to the two games against Sweden, home and away, where we kind of found something there and it's rolled on since then, Raf. And we got a real strong spine to the team. I'd imagine a young Jake O'Brien, talking about the back three and the senior international team, Jake O'Brien, Mark McGinnis, Jake O'Brien in particular, very young, outstanding young talent there. Your uh, goalkeeper in top form, Brian Maher. Centre midfield, Connor Coventry and Gavin Kilkenny is an absolutely great, like working in tandem with each other the whole qualifying campaign. And then the managers kind of dovetailed a little bit in terms of up, uh, further up the pitch. Will Smallbone has been prominent, isn't he, uh, in the last yeah. kind of couple of games. So they're playing well, good frame of mind go, uh, going into the game, kind of reasonably consistent in terms of team selection. Raph, so it's all in place. And bear in mind what we said again in terms of like not a huge, not a huge amount of pressure and the kind of and what's at stake uh, for them. I can't wait to be honest with you. I, I mean, people say, oh, well, we got the playoff anyway, but there's no guarantee with the playoff, Raph. We all know our history in terms of senior and under twenty-one in terms of there's you know always hard potential heartbreak down the road there. And these and the, I think the key for the Italians is yes, they're in the ascendancy, yeah, but we've just got to stay in the game. Raf, and I don't want you know, we're at 60, 70, 80 minutes into the game, nil all, whatever it is, few goals going up. As long as this game goes, the edge you're there gonna get. The edge you're there gonna get, knowing one goal, they're out. So, for some, so, so for me, people, I get an early goal, forget about the early goal. I'm not greedy for an early goal, I'm just greedy going into that last quarter of the game on level terms, nil all, and seeing those Italian players tense. And kind of lock up in the last 15, the pressure, you know, uh, uh, coming into their game, as opposed to us going to that last 20 minutes thinking, right, we're in the game now, let's go and win it. You know, let's go and win it and yeah. get the biggest prize of all. Yeah. The great thing about the 21s now, for the first time really, since I can ever remember, there's just a natural link between the 21s and the senior team. It's almost like, you know, you can see these players, as you, as you mentioned, the lads in, in defence, the lads in midfield. You know they're always being just being ready for the senior team, and then they'll they'll be they'll be there in the next couple of years, no doubt. Yeah, well, fingers crossed that they're uh, able to get the result that they uh, want and kind of avoid the playoffs. But uh, I know you mentioned flip flops and uh, Bermuda shorts there, Kenny. I think uh, as you said at the very top, uh, doesn't Ed's look got like... a shorts on. It's got a shorts on. Yeah, <laughs> they on screen. My knee is on screen. Oh, milk bottles. <laughs> Two milk bottles. Oh, horrible, horrible. Well, as you said, anyway, because we're going to let you go now. I presume you, you can't whip out any of that kind of clothing anyway. If you look out the window there, I'm not sure what it what it looks. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm you're ready. yeah you're dressed you're dressed for the weather. I'm um, heading Ed, out for you, coffee. I'm heading out for a coffee after this. Yeah, get yourself a coat, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, best luck, best luck, lads. Anyway, enjoy tomorrow, and hopefully you get to catch the Twenty Ones game as well beforehand. Yeah. Cheers, lads. Have a good one. All right. So that is the dynamic duo of RT Sport Online's Ed Leahy and former Ireland defender uh, Kenny Cunningham. Very good crack there, Anthony. Um, Obviously, they don't look like they're dressed for the weather that they were kind of telling us about there. But more importantly, on the under-21s in Ascoli uh, tomorrow, four o'clock, RT2, the RT player, um, you know, 
as uh, as Kenny said, you know, they might look at it slightly as a free hit, but if they can stay in the game, obviously Italy, Italy are the ones that have something to lose. And as we've seen so many times in the game, that can have a detrimental impact on a team. Yeah, well, I, I think Ireland will fancy themselves. I think they'll actually quietly fancy themselves. They won't say it. Jim Crawford won't come out and declare it or bang the drums too loudly. But I think they will. I mean, the, the game against Italy in Dublin, will have, have taken a lot from that because there wasn't a lot in that game. That was a tight game of football. Italy got the goal and then they got a breakaway goal right at the end. So, they, you know, to win 2 nil. But Ireland were in that game. They really competed with them. There, as Kenny said, there they now look like a, a more settled, cohesive outfit than they, they maybe did at the start of the campaign. Don't forget, like there's a lot of turnover of players coming into the 21 squad, it's just the nature of the thing as well. Um, and I think I, I as Kenny says, like they don't need to go and chase a win, like race out of the traps here. Like they just got to keep themselves in the game. And we know that they're capable of living without the ball. Like when they went to Sweden. They lived without the ball for large chunks of the match and they were fine. They were well organized. They were able to sit in, they had a good shape about them. And they have individuals that can pull a rabbit out of the hat that, you know, small bones in really good form. And they've had a nice block of time together as well. So they've been able to build, you know, work on certain things. I, I think their set pieces are really, really great. You know, they're always clever and something a little bit different. And you never know. Like, I mean, it could be just something like that, a little short free kick or a corner or something. But the key is, yeah, keep yourself in. Obviously, you know, it's stately obvious, but you don't want to give up an early goal. Or you don't want to find yourself 2-0 down after an hour. Like, there's no way back because because Italy are good. You know, they're a good side. They are missing a few players, I think, the Italians. Um, but look, this this is a chance for Ireland. This is a chance for them. You know, it's, it's obviously a massive ass to go over and, and win there at any level. But I think Ireland, among themselves, will fancy this. They have players, Kenny was talking about some of the younger players in the 21s, but they have like, at that level, sort of veterans, like the likes of um, uh, Coventry and uh, Lee O'Connor, like these guys have been around for a, a few campaigns now and they'll know that this is a chance. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, if they did it, it would be absolutely just a brilliant achievement for, for them and a, a great achievement for Jim Crawford. But look, worst case scenario, they're going to have a play on playoff in September. But I, I do believe that Ireland are going to go over there and they are going to believe that they can they can win. Yeah, because I think in a way, I think the Bosnia and Montenegro games were possibly especially on the mentality side, probably harder to go into in a way. I think as Jim Crawford had said beforehand. They were the ones they were really targeting because obviously Italy was a good bit another eight days after that second game and you, you're not necessarily going to be thinking about that straight away it was definitely first get that Bosnia game which was probably the hardest one to come into off the back of the season as and like as I said I was up in Abbottstown talking to him a few weeks back where we were discussing kind of team selection and how they're going to look at the squad because in terms of some players of seasons would have ended um, at the start, like at the very start of May or even the end of April, and then you have the League of Ireland lads who um, are still who are still ongoing, and then obviously the lost Colin Whelan as well. So yeah. it's uh, they've arguably, even though Italy are the hardest team they're going to face, arguably the hardest challenges have been hurdled already. Well, I think there was more pressure on those games. Like they they knew they had to win the two games to to get that playoff spot. So they've done that now, and as you said, like they've been in camp together for longer, and the longer you're together 
you know, you can build it. There's already a good spirit and a camaraderie about the group anyway, but you can foster that. Good results help. You know, wins obviously help that. And then they can, uh, no, there's no doubt, like, Jim Crawford and his backroom team are going to have a game plan and they'll have been working on that the last few days. They're going to go over there with a specific plan. As I said, like, listen, like, I, I wouldn't rule out Ireland scoring off a set piece over there. I, I just think they, I'm really impressed with them after their dead balls. They're, they put a lot of work into them, you can tell. Um, and then within that, they have some some really good players, like quality players. Um, so look, we're we're all looking forward to it. Like uh, Kenny says, like you go into the playoffs and it's you know it's you don't know what you're gonna get. It's it's perilous and there's never any guarantees. But it is a safety now. I mean that that would have been the that would have been the realistic target at the start of the campaign. They've done it with a game to spare, and that's even with you know they drew with Luxembourg. Um, they, they they lost in Montenegro, so it wasn't completely smooth for Ireland. You know they had to show a bit of character to keep things on an even keel and get back on track. So um, yeah, look, really looking forward to it, Raf. And um, you know, I think everybody's really willing and, and behind this Ireland team to do it because it would be it would be a serious achievement, first time ever to, to get to another twenty one finals if they manage to pull it off. Yeah, I know it would be huge. And as we know, as you said there, yeah, playoff pain is something we know from past campaigns going back to like Euro 96, World Cup 98 uh, and a few a few others since as well. But uh, also, as the Italian senior team will know, the playoffs for World Cup or whatever it is, uh, is paved with pitfalls. Um, so for those, uh, we've those games back to back. So the Ireland under 21s, just as a final reminder on RT2 and the RT player from four o'clock Tuesday and then followed straight after at seven by the Ireland seniors who are playing Ukraine in Poland. So before we go, we'll talk about a few domestic matters in the Women's National League on Saturday. There were some very interesting results. The leaders, Shelburne, losing 1-0 at home to Wexford. Sligo Rovers losing 5-0 to P-Mount United, who started to pick up form again. Cork City 2, Treaty United 1, and then Galway 0, Athlone 0. And then a few days earlier on Thursday, DLR waves and bohemians also drew nil nil so you know what we were saying last week you know the margin for error for shelburne had grown over those previous weeks because wexford had stumbled shelburne had stumbled but then wexford put in a performance like that and get a result like that and everything changes and even p mount will be looking at that and thinking you know we're not completely out of it oh that massive game that was a massive win for wexford because like, they went into that game eight points behind shells so you know shells had won that match it's 11 points I think there's still about 13 matches to go. So, you know, not mathematically gone or anything like that, but realistically, like that's a huge gap to, to try and claw back. Now it's five points. And the, the nature of the game, like the nature of the win, they hung in Wexford. They, they went with a, a, a plan, a game plan where they frustrated Shelbourne. And the goal itself from Jess Lawler was a bit of a free goal. Like the keeper, Amanda Budden, went to clear the ball and, uh, Lawler just charged it down, the cannon into the net. Now, the nature of that sort of goal and that win, you can imagine what it's done for Wexford, but also to Shells. I mean, it's a real psychological shake for them. Um, and having snuck the title last season, it's sort of come from nowhere, come up the rails. Now, Shells are the ones being chased down. And I mean, chased down by two good sides, Wexford Utes and PML. There's nothing, there really isn't much between the three of them at all. There really isn't. Um, Wexford Utes, when they bet Shelburne in the FAI Cup final last uh, November, October, November, um, you know, chatting to the players afterwards and uh, the likes of Kylie Murphy, like they, they said before and after that match, like they, they want, it's great winning a cup. They want to win the league. They feel like they should be 
challenging to win a league. And they really weren't that far off last season. Shelburne, you know, and I know I keep saying it, but like they are going to lose Saoirse Noonan, which is a is a blow to them. So I did say a couple of weeks ago, you know, it did look like Shells were in control, but there's a long way to go. There are definitely be twists and turns in this, 100%. I wouldn't be surprised if this went right down to the wire again. You know, P-Mount, Shelburne and Wexford Utes again. Uh, and then other teams, like Spathlone, are improving, but probably not, you know, a t- an actual title challenges beyond them at the minute. They're, they're improving at a rate of knots, but just it will be the usual suspects again. Um, and I don't know, is it that, that that game on Saturday, that could be, that we could look back on that as the decisive moment uh, for Wexford too. That was a massive win for them, really was. Yeah, and it's a similar dynamic in the men's first division where Cork City and Galway obviously are kind of duking it out at the top, but neither of them were in action on Friday. Um, in fact, it was Athlone, um, the men's team this time, actually getting their first win of the season, beating Cove Ramblers 5-2. So they're still bottom, but um, at least it's the first win of the season and they move a little bit closer to Cove in the battle to avoid finishing bottom of the division. And then Wexford drew 1-1 with Treaty United and Longford Town drew 1-1 with Bray Wanderers. And it's that last game where it was more matters off the field or at least on the on the margins of the pitch where there was uh, there were some issues and in regards to people in the away section. So there are statements there. So um, a teenage boy was arrested under the Public Order Act and uh, Gardaí were called to Bishopgate Stadium um, at around 9pm after they were alerted to a disturbance involving a small group of supporters inside the ground. And then the SSC or Tristie League released a statement in which they said the League of Ireland and the FAI strongly condemned the behaviour of a small number of spectators in the away section at the Longford Town v Bray Wanderers game on Friday night. We are now working closely with the Gardaí and both clubs to ensure those responsible are held accountable for their actions. The FAI has a zero tolerance policy towards this type of behaviour and will take will take further action once the Garda investigation uh, is concluded. So it's not the first time on this podcast we've discussed uh, Bray Wanderers um, and a section of their away fans because there was an issue when they played Wexford uh, a couple of months back and uh, it was something uh, with James O'Toole that we um, discussed here uh, on in that on that occasion it related to sort of like a not a physical confrontation, but there seemed to be some sort of uh, divide between Pat Devlin, the manager, and some fans up in the stand. Again, the Gardaí are going to investigate this, but it's it, obviously it's not something we want to see in the league. Well, no, I mean, I would say the incident, I, I would say that I would class it as different to the Devlin incident, what happened at the weekend, because, you know, to attack stewards, volunteers, um, that's, it's not football related. Like, it happened within a football setting, but that's just... You know, that's people obviously looking, causing trouble and, and going way over the line, way over the line. You would hope that it looked like there wasn't, it wasn't a huge group of individuals. So hopefully, you know, the club and the Guardian, I know they've already started to identify some of the people involved. Um, Yeah, look, it's, it's unsavory, Raph. I think we're in an era as well where, you know, a lot of these incidents are captured on uh, phones and camera phones. So like it, it makes it easier to sort of weed it out. And, it really has to be weeded out like as, as strongly and as quickly as possible. Take it away from the football, you know, whatever it takes, ban them from the grounds, identify them. Um, and you know, beyond that, there's not there's not much more Bray as a club can do, like bar that. But it was it was um the footage that came out was not nice to see. Yeah, and Bray Wanderers also released a statement condemning the behaviour of that section of fans that were that were involved. But as 
as the league said, um, the guard investigation will will take place first, and then whatever outcome comes from that. So that's it for for us this week. But we will be back on Wednesday with a review with a kind of the full podcast reviewing both the twenty ones and the Ireland Ukraine game. So we'll, I'll be back for that anyway. And uh, Anthony, thanks a million for taking the time. And obviously, it was great to have Ed and Kenny on as well. The dynamic duo, over <laughs> right, in, yeah, yeah, over thanks, in, over in Ludge or uh, Woods or I'll, I'll get the pronunciation right eventually but anyway yeah. thanks a mil cheers Rob.